Hello and welcome to the rankings episode of the IDP show with me, Jace Abbey. I'm going to be talking about some of the players I like and don't like at each position for week 12. We'll also be touching on some wider IDP discussion points that we think can help lead fantasy managers to success. Now, I've been kind of fortunate this season to have some amazing guests on the show, and this guy is no exception. He's one of my personal favorites, the the master of IDP charts, and a fellow Englishman to boot. It's Mr. Tom Kislingberry, senior contributor at Dynasty League Football. Tom, hello, sir. How are you doing? Hey, dude. I, I thought you were calling me Tom Kislingberry Senior for a minute. I was like, wow, that's some shade being thrown at me. I'm old. I'm, I'm not that old. There's certainly not another Tom Kislingberry. Uh, yeah, I, I'm doing great. Thanks. Uh, I appreciate you having me on, Jason. Uh, it's it's absolutely pleasure. Always lovely to talk to you. I'm looking forward to it. Good stuff. Good stuff. Are you enjoying all that the uh, the 2023 season has has brought us? It's been a it's been a roller coaster as usual. Injuries galore. We always forget they happen, and always act surprised every year when when history repeats itself. It's it's great, isn't it? Yeah, honestly, um, I I, I haven't got any numbers that back this up, uh, but it it feels like there's not that many injuries uh, to me. So I'm, I'm looking. Yeah, I look at it on team level, right? And and every year my thing is there's normally one team, maybe two that have a weirdly healthy year and everyone's always, oh, they're the most amazing defense. You remember, you remember the great uh, Jags defense of 2018, 19, and they had no injuries. Like one guy missed one game and that was it. Uh, And every year people go, oh, they're so good. Just no one got hurt, man. They didn't have to use some bum off the street in week seven who hadn't played in the pros. Um, And actually I'm looking at this year and there's there's a handful of teams who are going, you are weirdly healthy and you, you haven't had to use many players at all. Um, so that's quite good news. I mean, I, I want to watch good defense and, and not, you know, uh, I, I was going to come up with a name, but I can't think of it. It's not offensive, so I won't. But anyway, some <laughs> random bloke that, that comes out of East uh, uh, Alaska University and plays in week nine that you've never heard of. Yeah, the fewer of them, the better for me. I like it. I like it. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a few, but I think they're, they're sort of key injuries to, 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 to major players as opposed to, uh, you know, a, a proliferation of injuries across the team. Maybe, maybe a few on the offensive side for certain teams. Offensive lines, I guess, have been Perfect. hit pretty hard this year, it seems. But on the IDP side, I think they've been pretty good. Um, yeah. But look, I, I can't wait to, to get into all of this with you. So let's, let's jump straight into this by talking about the, the linebackers. And first up, let's talk about the linebackers that we like. So, Tom, who is the first linebacker you like? I like both Bengals linebackers, uh, Logan Wilson and Jermaine Pratt, uh, jumping off the line at me. And mainly I like them for volume. Uh, this is this is really, really simple stuff, right? They are playing the Steelers this week. Uh, and the Steelers tend to play in high snap games. And I think that is going to uh, bowl over to them. So uh, the Bengals defense has has struggled in lots of ways this season. So I, I last week, for the first time, they've been down in my tier five, uh, right? So I, I just work on five tiers. Five is the worst, and the Bengals were in that tier this week. Um, and that's a that's a mark base of the whole year. So there's not been a lot to love about the Bengals this year. Certainly when you look at the offensive side as well, it is pretty much as bad as it could have gone for the Bengals this year. Um, but I really like them this week. Uh, I think it's a good matchup against the Steelers. I like both those guys. They haven't been massively spectacular as solo players at the moment, um, but they're in a good spot. So I think that they're both uh, set up for be a good week. I would be starting those guys. Yeah, I like that. I like that. I know Pratt had a bit of a down week last week, but by by and large, he's been probably the more efficient of the two uh, linebackers there, despite playing a you know a couple of snaps uh, less than than Wilson per game, which which obviously adds up over over half a season. But um, yeah, I like I like the call. Uh, I like both players. They're both 
I rank them pretty highly in my my weekly rankings. So yeah, good shout, good shout. You raised a good point about that. Let's talk about volume. Pratt does play a little bit less, right? So I'm looking at them now, going Logan Wilson. I've got on about 650, 655, something like that, and Jermaine Pratt on 600. So sure, we're in week 11, something like that, and it's only it's literally a handful of snaps. But suddenly we're 60 snaps different, right? Which is a whole game. So if you go. If you go, well, I've got two linebackers and one's going to play a whole extra game. You go, well, of course I'll take him. But when you talk to people about weekly uh, snaps, if you go, well, this guy's only playing 60 snaps a week instead of 65, then people tend to go, ah, it doesn't matter. It's only a few snaps, whatever. But those are the same thing. So it's just a matter of perspective. Yeah. And when it it happens consistently, um, you know, that some of these guys might ebb and flow. uh, But yeah, certainly with Pratt and Wilson, it's it's, it's consistently a few snaps less than more than a few snaps less than than Wilson every game. So yeah, that that, that has a a cumulative effect, doesn't it? But but yeah, I I like I like the call. They're both they're both both good players, both. I'm quite happy to 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 slide both guys into my lineup. I've got them in a bunch of places and never, never consider dropping them unless I'm, you know, really rich at the position which is which is rare so right really solid guys right and, and in most mm-hmm. leagues you're you're gonna have some scarcity for full-time linebackers so even ones that are not ranked in the top 15 you know you're still gonna roll out there so i actually updated personnel uh package stuff today uh bengals this year are running 91 percent two linebackers on the field and two percent three linebackers so that makes seven percent where they're just running single linebacker and again seven percent doesn't sound very much right but that's the five or six snaps per game that we're talking about that adds up to one extra game. Uh, so the first linebacker I wanted to talk about is is Josh Woods. Uh, he's my my LB thirty eight, one behind Devin White and one ahead of uh, Pete Pete Werner. This is a fairly a fairly obvious one, a fairly simple one, really. Um, he's going to be a popular waiver target this week because Kaiser White suffered the the bicep injury last week, and he's going to be on IR. In fact, he's already on IR, going to miss at least the next four. It's it's kind of a shame, you know. He was in the middle of uh, a career year, certainly in terms of counting stats, anyway. But his absence means more opportunity for somebody else, and it's going to be, I think, it's going to be Woods. He's he's going to assume a larger role. He's clearly been the favoured choice behind White most of the year, sixty to sixty, sort of eighty five percent snaps most most weeks. And he was the guy that kind of stepped in last week and, and played a a larger role when uh, when White went down. But we can't, I don't think, rule out the possibility that Woods might share some of that workload with with Chris Barnes or maybe another linebacker if they decide to bring somebody in. There are a few guys still floating around out there, uh, free agents that they could take a look at. Because, you know, let's face it, Woods is is nothing special whatsoever. He's, he's missed 20% of his tackle opportunities this year. Look pretty damn poor in coverage. And, and if, we're, if we're honest, he's... There's really nothing that he's excelled at. I think on the basis of what Nick Vallis has done so far this year, we're likely to see a guy get the vast majority, the lion's share of the snaps, maybe 100%. And I think my money is on Woods being that guy, for this week at least, until they they realise that he's not he's not up to the job. And, you know, I'm totally with you. And, and they, might, they might go, he's not a guy, we're going to find someone else. But it's the Cardinals, right? And are, are they really trying to win games? I'm not sure. Now, as a team... That's quite different, right? The defensive coordinator still wants to put out the best defense he can because he knows he'll be sacked even if they lose every game, regardless of whether it's his fault or not. And and certainly the players are trying. Yeah, I like Woods. I, I'm with you. I, I think he's very good. Um, he, he's not been starting on one of the worst defenses in the league. That's never a, a great sign that you, you're a brilliant player. But as an IDP, yeah, you should be playing almost every snap. Yeah, yeah. This kind of leads me into a, a topic I wanted to discuss with you, actually, Tom. But for fantasy purposes, how much emphasis do you place on 
good players versus uh, volume players, uh, that linebacker specifically? And the answer will be different depending on what we're talking about redraft or, or dynasty. Let's assume we're talking redraft and let's use, you know, Woods as an example of what should be a volume guy going forward versus someone like Tyrell Dodson, PFF's top ranked linebacker. Um, and a guy who has at times struggled to to hold down even the the second linebacker role on his own team, despite the injury to to Matt Milano. Yeah, a great example of players as well. That that really illustrates the problem. Um, I am firmly team volume, um, like like quite a lot. Um, I I will take a bad player with more volume over a good player getting less ninety nine times out of a hundred because that that's what translates to points. So obviously it depends on your scoring, and there are ways around it, but. The average correlation of tackles to volume, and tackles is going to be the, the biggest driver of ID points in, in, in most scoring points, is, is 0.95, something like that. So, sorry, mathematical terms, we'll talk about correlation coefficient, but in, in basic terms, a 0.0 is no correlation at all, and 1.0 is a perfect correlation, i.e. times you've scored more points than the opposition and times you won a game. It's the same thing, so it's going to be a perfect correlation. So tackles and volume for linebackers is 0.95. So, so really, really close to a perfect correlation. That's what drives it. Now, sure, everyone goes, oh, but there's some guy, and there's this exception or that exception. And, you know, this guy had three years in a row where he's he's, he's done much better than average or, or whatever. And those do happen. But actually, when, when you've got all the players over a long time and a big enough sample, that fades. It, it's volume game. And even people that we think are exceptions to the rule, but a breakup, not a linebacker, whatever. Roquan Smith is a great example now. Um, going back in time, you've got Luke Keekley, uh, Bobby Wagner, people like that. Um, sure, I, over short periods, you look at it and you, well, you have done, but you're always going to get guys like that. Is uh, With the number of linebackers and players we look at the season, you're going to find guys who do it, but still the, the mathematical relationship is insanely strong, and that's what we want to go for. So certainly in redraft, I don't care about future. I don't care if this bloke's not good enough or he's never going to get another job or he'll be selling insurance next year. I'm just looking at, how can I make sure I've got as many of those 30 full-time linebackers in my lineup as possible at any time? Yeah, yeah. I, I knew that would be your answer because, I, again, I follow you. I, I know your, your view on these things. And it may sound obvious when we explain it in those terms, but that I think that point can get lost sometimes, can't it? When you're, when you're looking at sort of maybe just the, the, the average point scored by a player over a small sample size, uh, maybe he's had a couple of forced fumbles. Maybe he's had an interception, a sack, yep. uh, that sort of thing. Those those aren't very consistent um, predictive metrics to look at. Do you have a, a second linebacker? You kind of bundled two in one there, so uh, you might not have a second linebacker you wanted to talk about here. Do you have anyone else you wanted to nominate? Let's talk about Nate Landman. I quite like Nate Landman um, in, in general, but particularly next week. Um, how are you feeling about him at the moment? I, I think he's had a, a really impressive run, actually. Yeah, I, I wanted it. He's one of those guys I kind of wanted to do well because I do root for the underdog, especially the guy who's come in. You know, he wasn't he was on no one's radar to start the year. Um, and I love I love guys like that that come in and are productive. I wasn't I was a little slow to warm up. He wasn't uh, an every down guy to start with, but he has been for the last is it one or two games now. Yeah, I, I, I like him and I, I want to like this Falcons defense more than I do. But one of the reasons why I like, I like Landman more than Caden Ellis, at least in the last couple of games. I mean, sure, now that we talked about this before, right? You, you take Caden Ellis, who is an inefficient player because of who he is and mm -hmm. because he's a good pass rusher and he could, he's a good edge setter, which means he's, he's playing coverage less and coverage snaps are more efficient for linebackers. 
Um, so that sucks. But if they're playing equally, I'll take Landman over Ellis because I, I think if they've got two of them out there, then the Falcons are going great. That gives me more opportunities to get Ellis doing the things he's a bit better at, which is going to put Landman isolated in the, in the middle of the field. And this is probably only a handful of snaps per game, right? Literally two, three times we're going to find him whilst Ellis is up at the extra edge or blitz in the A-gap or whatever, and there's a crosser on him. It's going to happen really rarely. But those two or three extra snaps or, or situations per game over time makes sense. Uh, and it's it's fine margins like that. So where I am with IDP, and I'm, we'll talk about your point of view and you can tell me what, how different you are, is most of the time you're going to be wrong on those sort of things, right? We're, we're making decisions to start this guy over, start that guy, and something that probably won't affect it and will be different. You know, those, those couple of plays are smaller than the chance of some guy who's a, who's a good blitzer getting home and getting a sack versus just getting the pressure. That's probably more likely. But you, you have to add up all these things and you just go, if there's 30 linebackers who are going to broadly score the same, then which ones am I going to upweight slightly more this week? And, and you'll, you'll be wrong most of the time. Um, normally, especially in... in well, in the fancy world, and especially in IDP at this point, you go, oh, yeah, I know I'm going to be wrong, but I'm going to be right more than I'm wrong. And nobody is. Um, but you, you need to <laughs> yeah. understand those small margins are how you make sensible decisions, right? You're not going to be right all the time, but over time, that will add up. Very well put. And, you know, that's that's even more true um, for certain positions. You know, the defensive backs, we talked about them briefly before the show, and we'll get onto them later on. But for defensive backs, trying to predict who's going to, who's going to do well and who's not on a weekly basis is is an absolute nightmare. And the second guy I want to mention this week is is Alex Singleton. He's my, mm. my LB10, LB10, one behind Ernest Jones, one ahead of Aziz Al-Shair. I've talked about him before on this show. Um, it, it does surprise me a little bit that he continues to to dominate that sort of sole every down role. He's he's never been he's never really been a threat to to record many big plays. Like like Woods, I talked about a minute ago. He's not particularly good in coverage. Um, and he's missed a higher rate of tackles this year than he has at any other point in his career. Um, but he's 10th in tackle efficiency so far this year. His Week 12 matchup appears pretty good on on paper. The Browns have allowed more tackles per game than any other team in the NFL um, to, to, to linebackers, um, and they rank among the highest in terms of tackle efficiency to opposition linebackers too. Where are you at on this one, Tom? You convinced me. There's some compelling uh, reasons there. Yeah, I, I like what you say quite a lot. Let's talk about the tackling a little bit, right? So five minutes ago, we were going like, no, tackle efficiency is not a skill. That's not what players do. Mm-hmm. Of course, there are exceptions. And Alex Singleton is one of those guys who who seems to be an exception, right? Um, so so this is about correlation and and the, the disproval of negative theories, right? So when we say, on the whole tackle efficiency and being able to get to the tackle is not a connection to how good you are that doesn't mean that's never the case that means on the whole that is not the case but there still can be guys that do that right so going back to our correlation before um there's there's no mathematical link between how long the milk has been in the fridge and how tall you are but there's a couple of guys out there who are seven foot uh, tall and have had their milk in the in the fridge for two weeks so it's going to happen. And Alex Singleton is one of those seven foot guys uh, who likes his milk to hang around, right? He, over his career, has just made his way to the ball. So whatever it is about his skill set or his mindset or his ability, he's normally been a great tackler. So when you say his tackle efficiency is a tenth, that sounds quite high. But Alex Singleton, I, I would look at that and go, that's really bad. Um, that, that's <laughs> way worse than he's historically been. The one thing I would trust him to do is to outperform tackle efi- uh, efficiency. The one thing. Um, so 
yeah, he's not having the best season, but I, I think you, you definitely go for him. And Cleveland are interesting because there's a volume point about Cleveland as well. So mm-hmm. another one of those things. Sorry, I'm just talking about things. I'm, no, I'm no, probably doing this uh, straw man, right? People think about this and everyone's like, I haven't believed that in 10 years, man. You told me not to. Um, <laughs> there is a strong belief that, that says that good defences play fewer snaps per week, right? And that's the thing. And, that, and actually, it's not that strong because it's much more about your defense versus their offense and their defense versus your offense and, and the combination of those. But again, it doesn't mean that that good defenses play more snaps. It means mostly they don't. The Browns, I, I think, are the exception this year. So the Browns are lowest in defensive snaps, total defensive snaps at the moment. I haven't got it in front of me, so let's call it up because otherwise I'll just go mad if I don't know. Here we are. The Browns I've got averaging slightly under 57 snaps uh, per per week, which is the lowest in the NFL That's average. So like small. Yeah. Something like that. yeah, so in the average game, your Browns defense is playing 10 snaps fewer than average. So in the last four weeks, 58, 54, 51, 57. Sure, there was a 70 snap in there, but then 62, 58, 47, 54. So in all but one of their games this year, they played significantly under average. Um, and, and the flip side of that means they generally aren't just playing really, really low volume games. It means there is an imbalance in Browns games because of the ratio between how good their offense is and how good their defense is, especially now Deshaun Watson's out for the year and they've got DRT playing. Um, so I, I will look at Browns opponents and go, their defense is probably going to play more snaps than average in any given week. So I'm looking at Singleton going, yeah, great volume. Historically, he appears to be one of those guys that has a nose for the ball, to use that awful term. So you've made a pretty compelling case for him, actually. Yeah, I like Singleton a lot this week. I, I could have just said yeah. that and saved myself all the hassle. Um, so uh, let's let's move on to the defensive line. Uh, and let's start with the guys that we like. Um, Tom, who do you want to kick us off with here? So I've got one player I really want to talk about because he, he just seems such a screaming, obvious start to me, and it's Aiden Hutchinson. Um, so I'll, I'll preface this with, I don't think anybody's got Aiden Hutchinson on their team and is not going, he's a stud, I love him, he's doing so well. You know, Especially after the last week where he had the, the big game-ending play and booted the ball into the game. Um, love that he did that. Love that he did that. It's wicked, yeah, I'm, I've, I've seen better kickers. He, he's no Johnny Wilkinson. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it was quite cool that he did it. So he's not like one of these left-field guys. You're going, Aiden Hutchinson, oh, I no one thought of that. But he, he's had a couple of reasons that make me really like him particularly this week. So we'll talk about this later, but but firstly, I would argue he's the number one edge rusher in the league in terms of his sacks have not added up to his pressure so far. So mm-hmm. from memory, I think he's got 58 pressures so far and maybe five sacks, something like that. So well under 10%. Averages is somewhere between 15 and 20%. So he should have had more sacks, but he hasn't at the moment. That tends to even itself out over a pretty quick. Now, it doesn't mean he's due for it to be higher, but I would expect it to regress to average at least, which is good for him. And the second part is, again, volume. Uh, so they're playing the Packers this week. Um, and, and the Packers are one of those teams I would expect the defence to play more defensive snaps against. Um, and they're, they're not very good, right? The, the Packers' uh, offensive line, uh, pass blockers, I, I think there's three really bad offensive lines in the league, who are the Packers, the Vikings, and the Falcons. Doesn't mean they're the worst lines, doesn't mean they're the worst blocking teams, the worst offense, or like that. But as pass blocking offensive lines, I think those three stand out as the worst. Uh, so you look at Hutchinson, who having a, a I was going to say a career year, but it's his second year. So, you know, that's not that hard. You're, you're better than you were as a rookie. Wow, what a shock. Um, but he's playing really well. He, he's not in that elite top five or six edges, but he's in the tier after that. He's doing really well. He's 
contribute myself. Do a little bit of luck, and he's got a really good matchup against Packers. Not to mention it's the Lions Packers, right? Um, around Thanksgiving. So what a game! Um, and he's a, he appears to be a player who quite likes a, a little bit of showpiece and a little bit of razzmatazz at the big occasion. So I, I love Hutchinson this week. He'd be right at the top of my edge rankings. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm obviously a big, big Hutchinson fan as well. I was, I was actually going to ask you at the end of my next nomination, who who you think has been unlucky to have not have recorded as many sacks as, as they yeah. should have based on their pressure rate so far. And, and Hutchinson was the guy I, I, I imagined you might you might mention. Uh, a couple of other guys come to come to mind for me as yeah. well. Sort of maybe Alex Highsmith to a lesser extent. Alex Highsmith, maybe Will Anderson as well. But but yeah, Hutchinson is is the obvious one because he's brought so much pressure and had only what five six sacks so far, which is yeah. is still pretty, pretty decent by you know week week eleven. But he he deserves and 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 like you say may may get more going forward if he can continue to bring pressure at the rate that he's done he's done so far. And I think he, I think he can. The Packers O line, I, 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 yeah, not great. Obviously, they've been missing Bakhtiari most of the most of the year, but I think they've they've held it together better than I imagined they would. Actually, um, a couple of their guys have, I think, stepped up and, and done a little better um, than than I imagined they would do. Um, but yeah, I, I'd still I still get the advantage to, to Hutchinson this week, so I, I like that shout. Yeah, I'm. Let's let's talk about one other player who's not got the the rub. Quite in sacks because he's my favourite player in the league. Uh, John Franklin Myers. John Franklin Myers has been playing okay, um, but just hasn't sat, had the sacks uh, for whatever reason this year. And people haven't really noticed because you know the Jets' D line is, is pretty decent. Uh, but mm-hmm. JFM, I, I think, deserves a bit more. Kind of a follow up question to that one. Um, sort of, I know you're a big believer in 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 sort of the importance of pressures in in trying to determine the quality or, or future impact maybe of, of past rushes. Mm-hmm. Where does that leave you on guys like Kayvon Thibodeau? Um, tied for fifth in the league in sacks. 9.7% pressure rate, though, ranks 94th out of 216 defensive linemen. Where do you where do you stand on guys like that? Um, I, I find it really awkward, if I'm honest. Um, so what I tend to do is go low on them. Um, so I, I run those guys through projections, and then obviously you sort of manually do it. I, I can talk about that. I know you've been uh, doing those. And then you look at it and you go, all the logic and all the math says this, but I'm going to look like an idiot if I if I get this wrong. And, and sometimes those guys get it wrong, right? So uh, so I'm just trying to look up. Where, where did I have Thibodeau uh, this year? I had him down for 49 pressures and eight sacks, and he's already okay. way above eight sacks, right? So I'm going to yeah. look like an idiot on him. Okay, fair enough. That happens. Um and it and it doesn't help because of the where our little sport works, uh, there's always going to be someone on, on Twitter to go, "You were wrong on this one. You said this, and this didn't happen. So you look silly." Um, but but it never happens on the flip side, right? You know, all those times where you go, everyone thought it was fifteen, and I said five, and and he got four. Um, yeah, that doesn't happen. Uh, so who's a good example? Um, oh, what's his name? Uh, Cowboys cornerback. Loads of interceptions a couple of years ago. Digs. Yeah, Trevon Diggs. Um, so last year, so two years ago, he had his massive interceptions and, and Macri and I were both like, I think he's probably three to five interceptions the year after. And he ended up with four or something like that. And, and nobody was like, wow, you totally saw that coming. Uh, but if it was the opposite, then you would look like an idiot. So what I generally do is have the courage of my convictions, but hate myself and feel really nervous about it. 
Yeah, yeah. And before I get into to naming my the defensive lineman that I like this week, who do you think has been quite fortunate to have done as well as they have this year outside maybe of, of Thibodeau uh, that we should maybe look to fade uh, for the rest of the year? So I'm going to be a little controversial here and partially on purpose. So it's a bone, um, some of the guys we talk about, Leonard Floyd are obvious ones as well. Further down, uh, maybe Joe Bosa, maybe uh, Deo Odeingbo, uh, good people. The controversial one, Miles Garrett. Now, Ooh, that's yeah. controversial because Miles Garrett is arguably the best defender in the NFL this year. He's absolutely brilliant. I, I love him. I love watching him. He's been absolutely awesome. But as a pure conversion rate, you know, he, he's had quite a long career. We, we've seen a lot of him. There is there is not much evidence to say, oh, yeah, Miles Garrett's got some special finishing ability. He, he's, through his whole career, has converted pressures to sacks at a higher than average rate. He hasn't. That's not true. That's not a thing. Um, but he has this year. So I've got him here as 48 uh, pressures and 14 sacks. So over a quarter of them. Um, and again, mm -hmm. let's look up average. So average among top edges at the moment is hovering somewhere around 17%, something like that. So 25% to 17%, not huge, but that sort of means every every eight pressures he's going to get an extra sack, something like that. So it's probably only two, three sacks, something like that. Um, but he's been on both sides. We, we've looked at Miles Garrett and gone, he's got loads of pressure, but not the sacks. Uh, what's going on? So sure, it evens out over seasons and over a career. At the moment, he's probably a little bit higher than I would expect. Interesting, interesting. I didn't expect you to say, Garrett. Let's look at a couple of others. Uh, Daniel Hunter um, up at 24%. Oh, here's an obvious one, Khalil Mack. Now, part of yeah. that was, you know, whenever it was week four, week six, when he had like six sacks. Uh, and 16,000 sacks. That yeah. changed <laughs> his whole uh, season. Montez Sweat, definitely one as well. Um, yeah, uh, Washington's approach to their edge has been a bit weird. So, so I'm listing guys there who... You know, really good guys. Uh, guys have had a really good season, but you know, part mm -hmm. of that is they're playing really well. There's more opportunity. The, the more pressures you get, the, the more easy it is for this to look out of whack. If you're yeah. like, if you've only got ten pressures and you've got three sacks instead of two sacks, you know, whatever, who cares? Um, but it, it's the top guys where you really see it. I think uh, the guy, the defensive lineman I like this week is uh, and and season long actually is, is Dexter Lawrence. He's my my DL ten. Uh, he's actually mm. my DT my DT one for for week twelve. One behind. Uh, Josh Allen, one ahead of amazing uh, season. Gary. Oh god, I, I love watching these big guys play play football, uh, especially when they're as disruptive as as Lawrence has been in the last what season and a half. Right? He's yeah. you know, one of the things I was looking forward to seeing this year. I think more than anything was how good Lawrence was going to look. You know, he he he's always been a good player. He's always been above an above average defensive tackle, hasn't he? But but last year, his fourth year in the league, he he just very quickly became one of the very best players at the position. And I, I just couldn't wait to see whether he could sustain that um, based on the fact that, as I say, he had seemingly taken this sizable leap from being a good defensive tackle yeah. to being one of the best in the league. And, you know, when we talk about those, those that sort of you know, chasing group of, of DTs that have closed that gap on, on Aaron, Aaron Donald, Lawrence is, is one of those guys who has been leading that chasing pack. And I think as good as Donald still is, Lawrence is, is right there with him now. And, and is in danger of, of surpassing him. Uh, his 15.9% pressure rate easily leads all interior defensive linemen. It's 1.6% more than Donald, which sounds tiny, but when we're talking about numbers at that scale, it's 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 quite large, that, that gap. His win rate is second to all defense, amongst all defensive tackles, one percentage point behind, behind Donald, and he's producing tackles at a higher rate. 
for his second consecutive year. We should talk about where he does it from as well, right? So, yeah, uh, so he's <laughs> lining up A-gap. over 70% of the time in in A gaps or, or even zero tech right over the center. So, yeah. 70%, I mean, a lot of people are probably like, oh, I don't know, don't know what that means, don't know what average is. Uh, but nose tackle, nose tackle is a disappearing thing in the NFL. Very, very few teams go, I'm going to put a guy in there. Most of them playing sides and a three tech and a, and a and um, you know, an A gap guy who swapped depending on, on that. Uh, so comparison, here we go. Aaron, Aaron Donald. Let's see, where is he? Uh, so his time in the in the A gap is about three percent, and his time in the A or B gaps is under forty percent. So sixty percent of the time, he's basically lining up, you know, over the tackle or outside. Right? He's not edged because there's a guy outside. And blah 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 blah. Dexter Lawrence is, is absolutely phenomenal. Um, I cut you off, so we'll come back to it. But, you know, the question is, is Dexter Lawrence a defensive player of the year? He's phenomenal. Can you imagine Can you imagine us talking about an A-gap defensive tackle producing right. in the way that, that, that Lawrence is doing right now? Maybe, like, even even like five, ten years ago, we it's... It's Max Harrison. It's, well. it's, it's the crazy. Last, the last guy we talked about in those terms was Max Harrison. Obviously, a really different player, right? Snacks Harrison was, you know, the best... He was head and shoulders above every other defensive attacker as a run-stopping yeah. weapon. Uh, he, he wasn't the pass rusher at all. But he, he's the last guy to have that sort of lead. Um, Albert Hainsworth, maybe? And even he played yeah. outside way more. He, he only did it sometimes. But I'm Lawrence is... I'm not going to go, he's clearly the best defensive player in the in the year uh, in the NFL at the moment. But he, he's in the top five for me. I, I, I see... I think all the obvious candidates are probably linemen. You've got him, you've got Miles Garrett, you've got Nick Bosa, a couple of others there at the moment. Obviously, no one will vote for Dexter Lawrence. Uh, he's, he's never going to win the award because people look at uh, Deron Bland and go, ah, record for pick sixes. Let's get him <laughs> in the Hall of Fame. Um, you know, Stone will be up there, I'm sure, even though he's not. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah great shout. I mean, <laughs> if, if he wins this award over Dexter Lawrence, then I will riot. I'm going to flip my table. But I'm, look, I'm totally with you. We can't say enough good things about Dexter Lawrence. Where, how he's how he's changed his career. And, and we often say, you know, players don't suddenly get really good, right? You, you don't see those uh, those jumps. And Dex Lawrence's improvement has been up there with Josh Allen uh, as being, he, he wasn't he yeah, wasn't great. a below average player like Josh Allen was in his first couple of years, but they both turned into all pro level tackles really, really fast, which is incredible to see. How does that happen? It makes me question my, uh, I know that you do season 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 projections. Uh, it makes me question sort of, what what am I missing that that I could have I could have picked up on that could have led me to understand or believe that Dexter Lawrence mm-hmm. could take a mammoth leap from one year to the next. Um, it's it's crazy, but yeah, I love him. Uh, also, the Giants play the Patriots this weekend. Sorry, Tom. Uh, I think this is a case of uh, of you know a really informed, really good player meeting a team uh, or playing against a unit that has been really poor this year. Strength versus weakness. I think he has an, an excellent opportunity to. To continue his strong year and make a make a real impact. Um, so I've got I've got one other guy I want to talk about here. Do you have anyone that you want to talk about before I wade in with mine? Um, I was gonna. Can I talk about a bad player? I don't like a defensive line. Um, who who weirdly still I I still see getting started. I don't know why. Deron Payne. So Deron Payne a few years ago he had a brilliant season. A year ago, two years ago, something like that, and he had a load of sacks. Now he was just a last high, year low pressure yeah. guy last year. Um, but a lot of tackles as well, and he scored really well, and he did brilliantly. So I, I think he's got a residual reputation. Now, this year, he is arguably 
the worst interior pass rusher in the NFL. Um, now, sure, there's guys who don't go on the field and whatever, but of all the guys who are playing, loads and loads and loads, he's he's rushing the passer a huge amount and basically getting no joy at all. Um, and not because he's getting double teamed or blah, blah, blah. He's just very good at it. Uh, it's nothing to do with, oh, they traded away their edge guys. He was really bad at it before they traded away their edge guys. He's just not a good pass rusher. And I still see on a weekly basis people going, oh, I'm going to start Deron Banks. He was really good at uh, for me last year. Um, and again, they're... they're, they're up against Dallas uh, this week, Thanksgiving, up against Dallas, um, who are a really good pass-blocking offensive line. I I don't think Payne's going to do very well at all. Now, this is, of course, where he has two sacks and five tackles or something, and I look like an idiot. But I, I think he he stands out as a, please don't start this guy. Um, and, you know, probably don't have money roster at the moment. Yeah. I mean, last, last year, I, I, I touched on Deron Payne, I think, in an article maybe a, a week ago, suggesting that people drop drop him from their, their lineups if they were still starting him. I did have one caveat. You know, he, he does produce good tackle volume at the DT position. So depending on the scoring format, you know, if you if you don't reward sacks at all, and you reward tackles really <laughs> highly, then then yeah, sure, start start Deron Payne alongside the the Derek Browns and the, the Harrison Phillips of the world. But yeah, otherwise, yeah, like you say, not not a very good pass rusher. Double-digit tackle or sacks last year, but he, he was a volume player. He, he played something like top five snaps amongst all DTs. Uh, this yeah. year, again, he's a volume player, but those those pressures and those sacks haven't been coming because he's, he's still not very good as a pass rusher. So yeah, great, great show. Volume on interior line as well feels like a coach-driven thing. Um, obviously, you Definitely. need to be an at some level, but the poster boy of that for years was Eric Armstead, right? Uh, when he was a 49er, they were like, uh, sorry, not Eric Armstead, uh, DeForest uh, Buckner. When he when he was out there, they were like, right, we're going to roll him out for 55, 60 snaps a, a week, and nobody else is doing that. It's a huge advantage like Max Cosby has got at the moment. Um, yep. And then he went to the Colts, and they're like, oh, we're not going to do that. That's crazy. You can play 40 snaps a week, um, um, and you'll be at your best. So... It's one of those things that often gets assigned as a player ability, and I'm not sure it is. No, it's not. It's definitely a scheme thing, I would say. And, you know, there's a couple of other examples at Edge this year, the Byron Youngs, Michael Hecht as well. You know, these guys are getting an unholy amount of snap snap volume compared to other guys at the position. And, and by virtue of that, they're, they're actually starting to put up sacks. Or well, Byron Young was to start the year, and, and Hecht has been in, in, in more recent times, but... Um, but yeah, yeah, they're not 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 great players. Young maybe has a, a future. Hecht certainly doesn't. Pain, yeah, his his reputation at this point definitely exceeds his actual quality of play on the football field. And I, I, it's coming back to me now. Actually, in my article, I didn't suggest people drop him. I suggested they trade him away because he's got that name value, former first round pick. So I've got two guys I want to mention, two defensive linemen who I don't like. Um, I'm going to talk about them really quickly. So the first is Zayvon Collins. I expected a rotation there in in Arizona. Partly because they've got a lot of younger guys coming through who I thought would get an increasing amount of playing time as the season unfolded. But also partly because that's what Jonathan Gannon liked to do when he was with the Eagles. And, and obviously yeah. Nick Rallis was the linebacker coach there. And yeah, I know it's a stretch to say Rallis is from the, the Gannon school of defense. But hey, that rotation is exactly what we've seen. Obviously, Collins is leading that group in position, sorry, in snap share and has done most of the year. But... Yeah, as as Ojolari's role has increased, Collins has decreased slightly. Not not a huge amount, 10-15%. But again, as we talked about earlier on, that adds up over time. And for me, it kind of just exacerbates existing concerns I had about Collins' effectiveness as an edge rusher. 
um, sub 12% pressure rate. He's only had three games with three or more pressures. Um, like I say, he's improving, but I don't think this is his week. The Rams offensive line, I think, has got better as the season's gone on. I was looking at it earlier on. I, did a, I kind of had to do a double take, but they've only surrendered six sacks in the last four games, irrespective of whether they had Stafford or the Brett Ripon under yeah. center. So, yeah. yeah, I think, I just think, yeah, Collins, subpar pass rusher could become good in time, but going up against the, an inform offensive line, don't don't like the, the recipe for success there. I think it's, I think he's going to have a quiet week. Sam Williams is my other guy. Ooh, and interesting. I don't have him ranked amongst my top 75 defensive linemen. And that that may seem a little strange, you know, considering he's playing really well lately. 23.7% pressure rate last three games, three sacks over that period. But firstly, it's a very small sample size to draw upon. That's his best three games, two of his best three games of his career. And secondly, and perhaps most importantly, and the reason he's here at all is because his role is so small. His, his average snap share in the last five games is 29%. And it's, it's not increasing. In fact, he played 29% of the defensive snaps in just his last game. So yeah, going back to the point earlier on, the the Bryce Huffs, I know his role is growing. The Josh Uches, I, I think, yeah, Sam Williams is, is starting to enter that sort of territory for me. He's impactful when he's on the field, but his role is very small. So I don't want to rely on him. Uh, even in a game like this one where he's going to play against the the commanders who have allowed the, I think, the second most sacks in the league so far. Tom, am I mad? Do I need to assume Williams can continue to get it done when he's playing so little? So I've just looked this up. He hasn't played 30 snaps, arbitrary number, uh, but 30 snaps uh, since week one. And mm-hmm. we, we talked about John Franklin Myers not getting the love he deserves. He has played at least 30 snaps in every single game this year. Um, and, yeah. and average is quite a lot higher than that. So so I'm definitely with there. And Sam Williams is one of those guys anyway. So it looked like it when he got drafted, who, who was going to be a situational pass rusher, right? He's the guy that comes in on third down when you, you move your other guy inside and you need the, the guy that only does that on, on passing downs. And that's who he's been. Um, so uh, that, that's a relatively new role in the NFL. It probably didn't exist 10 years ago. Not very much. There are only a handful of teams doing it. But it looks like that's going to be his career. So it's great when it pays off, but it's mostly not going to. I quite like um, best ball and IDP. Going back to Zayvon Collins, um, I think that's a really interesting one. So you mentioned that Zayvon Collins le- leads the cards, edge rusher group. And you're totally right. He does. He, he's played more than the other guys. And it's obvious he's played more. I just looked him up. He is 44th amongst all edges and snaps, just behind Shaq Barrett and ahead of Arden Key um, and Joe Tryon and Nick Bonito. So, you know, guys who are going like, you can't stop them. They're not, they're not getting the volume. So, sure, he's leading his, his team, but does it matter <laughs> if yeah. your team would just have this deep rotation? Probably not. You've got defensive linemen on the cards this year are are a problem, right? So they've played more interior linemen than any other team. They've had 10 guys uh, take defensive snaps there, which leads the NFL. Uh, and they're clearly you know, doing that thing where you just go, let's chuck a load of guys out there and maybe someone will catch and, and look good. And it never works, right? All, all the people that nobody else wants are just sitting around. They never work. Um, but, you know, cool. If it keeps them warm in the night, then good luck to the cards. Because, again, I, I would like the cards to not suck. That would be lovely. Um, there was a few wonderful years and it was great fun, but they're really bad. Yeah, I like both of them. Um, I've got a, I've got a name for a lineman I don't like um, this week or going forward at all. Trevon Walker. I don't think he's a very good player. 
And sure, he might have that sort of awakening that we talked about. You know, he was drafted li- literally first overall. It seems wild now. Um, maybe he's Josh Allen, Dexter Lawrence, something like that. But at the moment, I I just don't think he's a good player. I I, I don't think he's a top twenty, may, maybe not top thirty edge in the NFL. Um, so fingers crossed. I hope, I hope he proves me wrong. I hope the Jags get good. Uh, but I'm Trevon Walker's at that weird moment at the moment where he, he's played pretty badly for a season and a half, but. There is still that thing in NFL fans that go, oh, you can't judge them until three years. So he was first overall. He's got all that talent. He's got a reason. And even seven years' time, when he's on his ninth team, people will be going, oh, we've still got the talent that's still there. And yeah, he needs to show a hell of a lot more than he has. We did know Walker was going to be a project. We knew he wasn't going to be the finished yep. article straight out of the gate. So maybe, hey, let's, let's, let's do a follow-up pod in like two years' time. And if he's become everything the Jags expected him to be, then we'll sit here and eat humble pie for an hour. On to, on to defensive backs, the the hardest position, as we talked about earlier on, to, yeah. to rank on, on, a, on a weekly or even a seasonal basis. But, you know, before we get into this, Tom, I wanted to chat a little bit about why it's so hard to predict success at, at this position. We did talk about this earlier on. I said I'd circle back. I know you've done some homework to demonstrate the, the lack of repeat rates at, at each position. Specifically, defensive backs. Uh, I know you have some very strong, very, very salient points to make on on defensive backs in particular. Can you share with us what you found? Yeah, we'll talk about it. Can I can I flash it up? So this is this is quite a lot of data. Um, so what I do is track um, basically all rankings uh, where all, all fantasy players uh, finish in in every position in every year, and that data goes back. As you can see here for defensive players back to two thousand eight. Uh, and for offensive players back to 2012. Um, and you'd look at, you know, where they finished in, in year one and where they finished the year after, and therefore, did they finish X high and do it again? Uh, so I'll, I'll try and talk about this without talking about the numbers in front of me. So here we go. Uh, the way I break it down is top five, top 12, top 24, top 36, and top 48, right? So are you an elite player? Are you a top guy, a, a QB one, linebacker one, whatever, top 12, uh, your position, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then we, we've got these numbers here that break it down. You can see it in a few different ways here. But this is probably the simplest way to look at it. So you look at top five repeat rate, and across offensive players, quarterback is up at 30%, running back is just lower, 27 wide receiver is 33 tight end is 44 because there are very, very few good tight ends, and what denotes a good tight end is people throw the ball at them, so it's a bit more determinate. Um, and then defensive players drop down a little bit, and cornerback and safety is about 11%. So whoever finishes top five this year, 90% of them, which obviously means almost all of them, because, you know, 90% in, in five players will not finish that high again next year. And, and that's interesting because every year ADP is mostly determined by people looking at last year's rankings and, and you, you move a few guys up and you move a few guys down. But if you, if you look at the correlation between ADP to last year's ranking, it is strikingly similar. Um, and that is the one thing we know will not happen. So... Yeah, that's not great. And then you look at top 12, right? So, you know, are you going to be a cornerback one again? And again, for cornerback, you're down at 22%. So out of those 12 guys, one in five of them, so two, maybe three of them are probably going to be a cornerback one, and everyone else you expect to fall out of their range. And yet still, still, we look at them every year and go blah, 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 and the same guys. So the interesting thing here is how, how similar cornerback and safety are. So I just said that top 12 repeat rate for cornerback is 22%. But safety is 29%, which is which is higher, but not that high. For all non-cornerback uh, positions, the average is 41%. 
to repeat in the top 12. So, you know, four out of 10 guys are, are doing that again. Great. That's brought up by quarterback and tight end because those are much higher. But cornerback and safety are significantly lower. And that stays the same. So my, my thought is people think safety is way more predictable than cornerback. I'm not sure if that's true at all. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, when we talk about streaming defensive backs mm-hmm. um, or, or just drafting them very late, you know, this is the reason why. But who are the who are the safeties then that you would say, Tom, are the guys that you you could reasonably expect to repeat? Right. There's definitely a, a few uh, safeties that have a particular reason for doing it. So, so Buddha Baker is one of those guys, right? He, he, mm-hmm. he led the NFL in tackles one year. And then he had a stunning number next year and then have an injured year and another good year, something like that, right? Yeah. So we go, Buddha Baker is an exception to the rule. Um, but he's sort of faded a bit. Uh, he's, he's not that different or special compared to other players at the moment. Tyrone Matthew has the same thing. Uh, Derwin James is probably the only guy I went into this year and went, I, I trust in him doing better than everybody else. And everybody else, there you go, the great ones, uh, Jersey next year. And everybody else is thinking, some of the people there are, are scheme. So what I want is old-fashioned box safeties uh, because just being closer to the ball. Now, now, the relationship between box safeties and deep safeties compared to scoring is not clear at all. And volume is way more important than being a box safety. And arguably, box safeties get injured more than deep safeties anyway. So it sort of evens out. But I definitely heard Derwin Jones at the top. And then, again, uh, shout-out to Matt Kring. Uh, one of the players that we both really, really liked that safety coming into this year was Julian Blackman. Because we looked at Julian Blackman and all the news out camp and all the preseason was um, he's going to play Gus Bradley's strong safety role. So yeah. we, we talked about um, player fit and talent versus scheme early. And safety is one of those places where it's really, really not the same, right? We spend all this time watching safeties and tape coming out of college. And we go, he's good at that. He was, he was used in a certain way. But safety is the ultimate Swiss Army knife. It is the position on the NFL field that does not mean the skinny guy standing at the back, it means the really good athlete that I will move around to do whatever I want because that's how defensive schemes work. So the yeah. same safety in under different coaches can be used in wildly different ways. Julian Blackman is an example, right? At college and for the first part of his career, he looked like a dedicated deep safety. And then Gus Bradley went in and went, nope. Uh, nope. What's the name? Nick Cross <laughs> is an absolute failure of a draft pick. We can't play him. So get in the box. You're going to be my banger. Um, and I don't, I don't think the IDP community have mostly cottoned onto that this summer. Um, because whenever you do that, you're always saying, this guy has done this for his whole career and it's going to do something different. And mostly that's a bad decision. Um, mostly that's just hype driven by beat reporters and people wanting things to be true. But safety, you can sort of see it coming a bit more. So yeah, those are the guys I'm looking for. I like it, I like it. So specific players, I like Rudy Ford this year. Mm. Um He's my DB in safety six, one behind Cam Curl and one ahead of, uh, of Reed Blankenship. One of the reasons I've got him here is because his, his story is just kind of fun. Um, he's been in the league for, for seven years now. He's been passed around from team to team, never really stuck until last year when uh, Darnell Savage missed a bit of time with, uh, with a foot or an ankle injury. Ford stepped in for a handful of games. Didn't look amazing, but he did equipped himself pretty well in in coverage i thought so fast forward to 2023 adrian amos is gone and ford looks like he's going to be competing with uh, with jonathan owens for a full-time role at 29 years old ford wins that battle and for the first time in his seven-year career starts the year as a as a full-time 
starting safety and he hasn't looked back since um granted he's, he's been a bit inconsistent at times but on the whole he's been a i think a major plus for that packers secondary and in fantasy terms he's been pretty reliable six or more tackles in each of his last seven games a couple of interceptions a couple of pass breakups whatever uh but he's playing close to the line of scrimmage in the last few games i think there's more um to come from ford i think there's something to like in what we're seeing from him and I like his Week 12 matchup against the Lions, who so far, at least, and I say this almost apologetically, have allowed um, uh, one of the highest rates of tackles to opposition safeties. Any thoughts on uh, on Ford, Tom? Do you like him? Yeah, I'm with you. I, I like him. Uh, to be honest, you just gave me a bit of information. I did not know he'd been playing more in the box in recent weeks. So I've just had a quick look. And, and you're totally right. Uh, it sort of leaps off uh, once you look at it. And... And, and that that's so much is the key to IDP is is trailing through that sort of information every week. <laughs> um, and it's so much easier than it used to be. So oh, I'm not sure I've ever told you this. What you used to do, I used to do for tracking snaps is go through PFR every single week and copy and paste every single, you know, the little snap uh, section there? I used to copy and paste that and manually check that for every player, for every team every week. Man, it took a long time. Was this before you had kids, Tom? Where did you get the time from to do that? Yeah, I, I think it was. Um, <laughs> and you know, I've, I've been, I've been lucky not to have a real job for most of my career, so that was great. Um, but but that you couldn't get that information anywhere else, right? Uh, there were, there was nowhere at the time that gave that, so it was worth doing it because in early days in IDP, it, with the concept that volume equals success and, and knowing what volume looked like, that that was different. Anyway. Uh, these days, yeah, it's way easier, but you still got to be granular about it. And Rudy Ford's had a really good season. Uh, from memory, he's had a couple of really big weeks, and then I, I've, I've sat him on the bench uh, all of those times because I've never been that confident in him. But yeah, sure, as all the safeties go, I, I think he's he's definitely one of the guys I'd, I'd feel happy with at the moment. And, and just yeah. talking about uh, them as well, and, and how you were describing their safeties, you reminded me of uh, Jalen Petra. So, you know, we talked about yeah. The difference in getting players right and getting players wrong. So last year, he had a brilliant season, absolutely amazing, great numbers. And you know, everybody drafted him as a rookie was I told you. And this year, sure he's been injured, but you know, when he's healthy, he's just a guy. Uh, so yeah. it shows the difference that you can have. He, he was drafted way ahead of all the other safeties last year, the clear number one, and he's just a guy. So that happens all the time. Exactly. You know, he's missed he's missed um, a few games, three and a bit games, I think it is. But when he's been healthy, like you say, he's been inefficient. He's ranked 71st out of 105 qualifying safeties who played a minimum of 100 snaps in tackle efficiency. And I know that's, you know, as we've said, that's not a him stat, but it doesn't help. He's produced very big plays after managing more than his fair share last year and he's missed more than 20 percent of his tackle attempts so even when even when he is in position or plays do come his way he's not taking advantage of them and i think yeah his, his cold streak i think could continue against against jacksonville this this weekend yeah. i uh, yeah it's 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 a cautionary tale isn't it um and uh, for every fantasy manager out there who, who invested too heavily in defensive backs especially in dynasty in those drafts don't don't do it you're you're not setting yourself up for success these guys often fall for the reasons we've talked about already well short of expectations. And it's, it's weird because he's been used in a very similar role to last year. So again, there's no better example than, than someone like him. No, it, it, he had a, a brilliant time. And going back to your point about trading, he, he was one of those examples, right? So we all want to trade DBs and it's quite hard because mostly we play with other people who want to trade DBs as well. 
but with someone like that where where he was so far out ahead and every you know when you invest very little in something and it looks good you want to believe that you've uncovered gold and it's going to stay gold and it's not just a you know fool's uh, iron pyrite that's going to change back into something mixing my metaphors horrendously there so surely you've got Jalen Peter on, on your on your roster and you go I don't want to trade him away because he might just be the next brother baker that's brilliant for years but you know trust in the process trade him away yeah definitely um and also I mean I talk about guys I liked I did I talked about four the other guy I don't like Nick Scott really really obvious one he's fallen out of my rankings altogether his snap shares yep. been consistent all year uh but he's remained that second safety that's kind of worth having on the Bengals in in IDP behind uh, Dax Hill, who obviously started really fast. Um, That was, of course, until last week. Jordan Battle has emerged from nowhere to to overtake Scott. Um, 86% of the snaps to Scott's 17%. We know know Battle's got a long way to go to prove himself as as an NFL safety and uh, as a a fantasy safety as well. But he did have a big game, 10 solo tackles, and he actually performed better than Scott has done at any point this year, and in fact, any point last year as well for the uh, <laughs> for the Rams. Um, so I think when you combine Scott's poor play with Battle's strong start and and draft capital, it makes it makes Scott pretty expendable at this point as a fantasy asset. I don't think he's worth rostering. Totally agree with you. I'm I'm not sure the universe needs Nick Cross and Nick Scott. They they are both. <laughs> Big name safeties who clearly aren't very good and are just going to bounce around. And it, it would be much easier if we could just have one. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't even think he's been a good bridge option for for them as, you know, they, they got rid of Bell, they got rid of Jesse Bates. They were really struggling for safeties for a while there. They nearly had Dax Hill coming through. They obviously went out and invested a third round pick in battle. I, even as a bridge option, I, don't, I can't remember what they gave him. It was something in the teens, three-year, 13 14 15 million it was something like that which is is quite quite a small contract really in nfl terms but at the safety position they could have they could have got someone better it's not hard to find a journeyman safety right yeah there's a big tier of average and this bengals defense is a lot of things that have come together in a perfect storm of rubbishness and they're i know everyone's talking about joe burrow and how the offense hasn't fired and his his injury the defense is really bad like like bottom five sort of level defense. Uh, okay, then they're, they're not Giants or the or the Cardinals, um, but they're really bad. So I just look at the Bengals. They are thirty first in yards per play given up, and thirty first in passing yards per play, and thirty first in rushing yards per play. So, like they're, they're not playing that much volume because they control the ball a little bit. But every time the, the other team tries to move the ball, they succeed. Um, so I look at this Bengals team. There's not a lot to like about it at all. It's it surprises me a little bit because when we talk about the individual parts of their defense, it, it, it you can you can name a bunch of guys who are good players like the the DJ readers. I, I don't mind BJ Hill. Trey Hendrickson's having a Mike really Hilton good is a really good yeah, player. Mike Hilton, Dax Dax Hill. We talked about him a minute ago. They got a couple of cornerbacks who have been. At least productive in a fantasy sense. That means nothing in NFL terms, I know. But you talk about that. I mean, that's that's a better core component than a lot of NFL de- NFL defenses out there, and they just haven't brought it all together. Um, yeah, weird how mind, right? mind boggling. It doesn't mean they're terrible forever. It, it, maybe it's just going going bad this year. But I, I would like it. Yeah. The way this roster is built is similar to 
the Chargers in depth on the defensive line, right? So I don't trust any of the guys inside. BJ Hill, DJ Reader, just guys. And Trey Hendricks and Sam Hubbard have been really good players, but over the last two or three years, they have invested in those guys as starters. They've, they've been an old-fashioned starter and a bench guy on the defensive line, which is fine when they stay healthy. And as soon as they're, they're not, and both of those guys are banged up, um, then what else you got? When you're rolling out Cam Sample and Miles Murphy and Joseph Osai, I think the other teams are moving the ball. So, you know, yeah. old-fashioned starter and, and bench strategies aren't very good on the defensive line these days. No. No one's, no one's shocked by that, hopefully. No. And they have been, they have been kind of trying to address those 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 some of those positions, you know, like you say, Osai, he, he I forget where he was drafted, but it wasn't it wasn't lower than the third round of Murphy. Yeah, it was definitely day two. Miles Murphy again, he was, you know, yeah. I know he dropped a little lower than some expected, but he was also, a, you know, a guy that was being talked up in that pre-draft process. So they've been trying to address it. They just haven't really hit on the right guys, it seems. Right. It's, it's, it's still it's still too early to stay in Murphy's case, but yeah, it's Sure, and it doesn't mean they're bad front officers or anything like that. It's some teams no. just go through a weird length of time where all of those picks go badly. So look at the Jags, right? And it's like, you know, probably 10 years for those guys. But all of those first-round picks just happen to be bad ones. It doesn't mean they're stupid or the person at home is better. It, it just it happens, right? You, you're going to get some Caleb on chase-ons uh, in there. Um, and it looks a lot like the Bengals have had one of those stints, admittedly, around Joe Burrow when they managed to take one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL most of the time. So, swing yeah. around. Yep, totally agree. Totally agree. Um, okay, look, Tom, with that, it's uh, it's a wrap for this episode. Uh, thanks for thanks for dropping your your knowledge bombs on us all day today. Um, I, I've missed you on podcasts, dude. I think Read and React was one of my all-time favorites for years would you ever get back into it or is is life just too busy these days i love i've really enjoyed uh chatting with you and and podcasting is really good fun but yeah man it's hard to it's hard to find time against all the other things uh uh so right now it's difficult hopefully one time um some point that will become easier between work and family and blah 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 but at the moment yeah i, I can't be regular and if i can't be regular i sort of don't want to do it I get it. I get it. I'll I'll just for the, in the meantime I'll set up for the next best thing. Just invite you on as many of these as possible. So, well, it's um, been an absolute delight, and and thank you very much. You've generally made my day much better. So, thank you for your time. Absolutely, my and our pleasure. So, please remind our audience, if you will, where they can find you and your fantasy content. <laughs> yeah, I really nearly gave out my home address there. Uh, that would have been weird. <laughs> Come see me. It's great. It's going um, to be very weird. <laughs> so you, you can you can find me on Twitter. Um, I'm at Tom Kislingberry, and I will, I will occasionally drop a load of stuff and then dr not drop a load of stuff. But, you know, I'm happy to talk maths and, and weird charts and things like that if you want to. Uh, you can find my work on DLF. Uh, I'm, I'm putting out a weekly column, oh, which I'm supposed to be writing right now, so I should probably do that. Um, and a couple of other places very occasionally, but those are the big ones now. Good stuff, good stuff. Go follow Tom if you aren't already. You'll be glad you did. He's one of the brightest IDP minds around. Uh, if you want to follow me, you can find me on X at Jace Abbey. My full weekly rankings are available to subscribers on theidpshow.com. But for now, thanks for tuning in. Your support and feedback means more than you know. And I'll be back at the same time next week to talk about the highlights and lowlights in my week 13 rankings. Cheerio. She never left hometown. We gonna take a trip today. Let me take you.